Let's go get a hot dog. Absolutely. Can you hear me pretty well? Yes. I always Because I'm fucking loud as fuck. We're recording right now. We are. And he's going to take all this shit and make it. to the Dirtbag Chronicles. My name is Brian. I'm your host. This is episode seven. I'm super excited to share this message with you guys today. We have a, an exciting guest on the show. Uh, her name is Sam. This is a really good friend of mine. She's uh, helped motivate me to stay in my recovery and, and give me given me a lot of insight on what it means to be clean and uh, just shared a lot of good stuff with me. Um, So I wanted to bring her on the show because she chose a different pathway than the regular pathway, like NA program, AA program, and all of that. So I kind of wanted her to share uh, some of her experience and and how she did this uh, without the typical program. So this is Sam. Sam, why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, how long have you been clean and why is it so important to share your message with others? Um, Hi, I'm Sam. I've been clean for two years and a few months. Um, Congratulations on that. Thank you so much. Um, It's important because it's possible. Um, In the moment, it doesn't feel like it is, but eventually you get out of that and you change your mindset and you have the ability to do it. And if you're lucky enough, you have the ability to help other people do it. Yeah. And here we are. Here we are. Mm-hmm. Okay. So uh, I want to dive right into what, what being a dirtbag is. So what kind of dirtbag shit did you experience that kind of brought you to your rock bottom? Hmm. Tell us about some of that. Uh <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there is a lot of, a lot of things, obviously, um, your basic shit, like stealing, lying to fucking everyone, you yeah. know, just being a piece of shit mostly. Yeah. So what, let's, let's, let's break some stuff down real quick. So I met you, what was it like almost 10 years ago? Mm-hmm. And so, and you weren't, you were just 21 then, right? Yeah. Do you think that at that age that you knew that you were an alcoholic or, or addict? Yeah. A hundred percent. Okay. Yeah. Without a doubt. So when, how old were you when you started to realize that you were looking for something to make you feel, because that's what us addicts do. We look for that alcohol or that drug Mm -hmm. to make, or sex or whatever that is to make us feel something. Yeah. How old were you when you started to kind of recognize it? Um, Well, I was probably eight years old when I started like stealing my mom's cigarettes, stealing beer. Um, drinking it it tasted terrible but it like didn't matter i saw everyone else around me all the adults were drinking and partying and um from a young age i 
almost romanticized that mm-hmm. like party aesthetic. Like it's what everyone was doing. It just seemed like what I was supposed to do. And it was probably about 13 when I really started like any kind of over the counter pill, like cough medicine, sleeping pills, anything I could get yeah. my hands on weed. Obviously I was just taking it all, like taking a bunch of triple C's and going to school and yeah. doing all kinds of stuff. So Same here. Yeah. From then 13 is probably when it really started. And, you know, I just kept going. Never. It didn't stop for a long time. It was any way I could do it. I was going to find a way to get fucked up. Yeah. And, and how old were you whenever you started to realize that because you were an addict, that was a reason that it was bringing problems and chaos into your life. How, how old were you when you started to experience the chaotic side of addiction? Um, <clears throat> probably around 21 Okay, was when, cause you know, I could go to bars and get away with it and do all that. But I realized then, like I knew it was a problem. Yeah. I was going to go out and it's never, you know, have a couple drinks or, smoke a little or whatever it was always full throttle like full send every time never failed and i was like okay this is not normal but i'm also not going to stop i'm going to keep going because you were having fun yeah yeah i don't want to stop yeah um now we've had some discussions before this you know uh but but you ended up going to what they call DYS, uh-huh. right? Yeah. What was some of the experiences you went through with that? Well, I had already been in a lot of trouble, like skipping school. When you're a minor, you have to go to court if you've missed so much school. And then you go to court and you get drug tested. And of course, I failed my drug test. And then you immediately get on probation. And then any violation of probation, you know, is immediately sent to the juvenile detention. And I'd probably gone like, 20 times damn um and then to county jail or dys to to the juvenile detention center and then um i got in a lot of trouble i was on this intensive tracking where you have to be home at a certain time and they'll call your mom and make sure you're in the house and they had like slowly stopped calling and like built trust they didn't have to call every night and then uh i just took that opportunity of course and was like i'm going out and uh, <clears throat> broke into my mom's store and was skateboarding. And a friend of mine had a bunch of weed and my mom found out and called the cops and they came up there. And then, uh, of course, I was like, get out of here. I'm already getting in trouble. Like, I'll take the blame for this weed. And uh, another dirtbag with morals. Yep. And then <laughs> went to JDC, went to court. Vicky Cook was so fucking sick of seeing me all the time. And she was like, you're gone immediately. You're going to DYS. And I was like, no. Like, this is a big deal. Like, I don't want to go. And so I was in JDC for 30 days and then transferred to Texarkana for about two weeks. It's awful. Yeah. Terrible place. How old were you when that happened? Uh, I was 15. Okay. And then went to DYS and I was there for six and a half months. And that place was awful. Everyone's like, you don't want to go. You don't want to go. And you really don't want to go. No, <laughs> it sucks when so you asked about it in court, mm-hmm. 
they made yeah. it seem like it was yeah, like, like it's peaches just, uh, and cream. Huh? Girls camp. You're going to get counseling. We're going to help you be better. There's horses. Yeah. Like <laughs> it's all this cool shit. Yeah. And uh, it was absolutely not like that. It was <laughs> the complete opposite. <laughs> They're just like handcuffing girls to the fence and like locking them in rooms and like, yeah, you're going without like body wash and toothpaste and they're just like not buying it. And of course, the the place I was was Mansfield. And I don't even know if it's open anymore, but it's in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. You know, like I think it was like four hours from Hot Springs or something. And I mean, it was just it was terrible. And then you get to call your parents or whoever once a week and you're telling them you're like, this place is fucking awful. Like all this shit's happening. And they just think, you know, like, oh, you're just away. You're going to make it seem extreme. Yeah. It's probably not that bad. Yeah. But uh, no, it was definitely that bad. But at 15, that I mean, that has to be a little traumatic. You know, yeah. do you think that 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 experience, do you think that made your addiction stronger? Like, can you remember when you got out and you were like, yeah, I'm yeah. fucking free and it's time to 100%. go balls to the wall? Yeah, because I was out for like maybe a week and I stole my mom's car. Yeah. And was out and she was calling on my friends and they're like, your mom's on the phone right now. I was like, you're lying. Like, no, she's not. And then they're like, no, she's there. And I was like, fuck. <laughs> so I had to like pull the car back. The cops are already at the house and they're like, you're going to jail. I was like, yeah, I know. <laughs> so I, I went back and Judge Cook was like, are you, are you fucking kidding me? Like, what are you doing? I was like, I don't know, man. Like, just hanging out, you know, like just <laughs> having fun. But after that time, I think she sent me to JDC for like 30 days again after that. And um, after that time, I didn't get in trouble anymore or, you know, I just didn't get caught it's much smarter yeah. about it. But I also moved out of my mom's house at 16. So that helped a little bit. And you lived on your own or. Mm -hmm. okay. Well, I lived with my sister for a little while and then um, <clears throat> her husband and I did not see eye to eye. Yeah. And I was like, I'm practically grown. Like I got my GD. Like I know everything. I'm 16. Like yeah. I'm, I'm fucking out of here. So I came back to hot Springs. I was living with um, my best friend and her boyfriend. We had a townhouse. I was working in the kitchen at Fisherman's Wharf, like living on my own. And, and that was it. Yeah. I was out of there. <laughs> <laughs> so that's when it really started to escalate mm -hmm. because you thought you were grown. Yeah. You know, you can't tell me anything. Yeah. yeah. Nothing. Mm -hmm. You knew all the answers. I can only imagine. Yeah. Uh, okay. So <clears throat> let's go to kind of an area after you, you probably around 25, 26. Mm -hmm. How old are you now? I'm 30. 30 years old. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you've had several years of, of living that life and, mm -hmm. and kind of explain to us about some of the emotions that you went through of going, getting high, being drunk, having fun, mm -hmm. and then having that crash the um, next day or for however long. Yeah, no, it was fucking <clears throat> terrible. Um, you know, I'd go on a bender and it'd be like a good like five days. I mean, and I still went to work was the crazy thing. Yeah. I was going to work. And so, I mean, it got to a point, one job, I worked at Grateful Head for like four years and they didn't even know that I was drunk. Like, but I was shit faced the whole time. Like every day at work, I would just bring it, bring whiskey to work. And they just thought that was how I 
was like and grateful head is a pizza joint right yeah so you were serving tables yeah talking to to different people yeah. and and, and able like, to maintain ah, so fun yeah. you know yeah but no i was drunk as <clears throat> shit the whole time <laughs> yeah so were you getting high at that time too yeah absolutely okay. oh yeah okay did you is there any time that you experienced being too high at work oh yeah absolutely okay. there was um one memorable day of the restaurant was slow and I was working a double and I was hungover as shit. And so I was drinking a little bit of work, you know, trying to keep the hangover at bay. And then uh, my friend was like, hey, uh, let's go snort a line. And so we go into this other part of the restaurant where there was no one sitting there. And he puts a line out on the table and I'm like, hell yeah, dude, I'm about to be back at it. <laughs> and it was Molly. <laughs> so <laughs> the rest of the day was really interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a good word to use, mm -hmm. ain't it? Okay. So you've had your fun times. You've had the trouble. Mm -hmm. Did you ever get in trouble and after uh that trip to DYS as an yeah. adult? Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um not a lot of trouble as an adult. Because you haven't like, been to prison, have you? No, I haven't. Um okay. Thankfully. Yeah. Um, you got smart with it. Didn't yeah. You? <laughs> learned how to not get caught. Uh, there was a, another night. Um, I lived in a duplex and my neighbor at the time, we were all partying and stuff. And all of us were just like, you know, really fucked up. And uh, her and I got into it and started fighting and she was like banging on my door and long story short, I like beat the shit out of my neighbor and it was bad. Like not, I mean, even sober, I was just like, Oh God, this is going to be really bad. And, uh, I and ended you're up, drunk at this yeah, point. Okay. Real drunk, <laughs> real drunk. Um, but I got in a lot of trouble for that. I had to, she pressed charges of course, <clears throat> rightfully so. And I had to turn myself in and get an attorney and, go to like numerous court dates and um, I ended up catching a charge for that one. Okay. Was yeah. that a felony? No, it wasn't. Thankfully it was a okay. misdemeanor, but oh, that's good. It's still on there. Yeah. Yeah. And it was in the paper. That's that embarrassing. Was, as yeah. Fuck. Cause I didn't tell my mom, of course I was like, she don't need to know. And then she's like, I just got the send a record. Like what the fuck? All my friends are calling me. I was like, this is not good. Was it on the front page? Absolutely. Absolutely. A hundred percent. My mug shot. How old were you when that happened? Um, <clears throat> I think it was 23, okay. 24 maybe. Okay. So you've been clean and sober since you were what? 28. Mm -hmm. A little bit before 28. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. And you know, you told me something that really stuck out that made me help remind me of like some of the dirtbag shit that like the dirtbag shit way of thinking, you know, and you said something about hanging out with people uh -huh. uh, that, that were looked way worse than you. Can yeah. you explain that yeah. just a little bit? Um, that was just my mentality of like, if I hang out with these people that are blatantly like super loud, like super fucked up, like doing hella crazy shit, like super shady, like eyes aren't going to be on me. It's like, I was justifying what I was doing, how I was acting um, and making excuses for myself because like, I'm not as bad as her or I'm not as bad as them or whatever. Yeah. Um, and just allowing myself to stay in that place and keep doing what I was doing. Cause I didn't want to give up, you know, drugs and alcohol. Right. I'm having a good time when I'm doing it. 
I don't want people to, you know, try to stop me. So if I just hang out with people that are doing way worse, the focus is on them and not on me. Yeah. It's a hundred percent not the case. How did Everybody that, knows. how did that make you feel like after you got clean and sober, looking back on that, how, how did that make you feel for using people like oh, that? Oh yeah, no, it made me feel like shit. Um, well, and it made me feel worse too, because my good friends that I still have to this day, I had like, you know, I didn't want to hang out with them because they didn't want to do what I wanted to do. Right. They didn't want to get, you know, obliterated. Right. And they don't want to get into bar fights and, you know, they don't want to do this crazy shit that I want to do. So I would just not talk to them. I wouldn't hang out with them or I was an asshole to them when I did hang out with them. And, you know, cause I chose to hang out with these other people. So I still have, you know, I just felt bad about that. And then also about using those people because once I got sober, those other people, I was like, I can't hang out with you. Like I can't be a part of this, whatever. And mm-hmm. so it really wasn't fair to them that I did it in that way. At the time, it's what I had to do. I had to just cut it off. Mm-hmm. Um, and then some of them later have reached out and they're like, yo, like I totally understand. and other. Some people don't, um, but it's just just part of it, really. Yeah. Now, let's talk about your rock bottom, like having that that understanding of like this lifestyle just fucking isn't fucking isn't working for mm-hmm. me. What what brought you to that point? And was there anybody in particular that helped you? come to that understanding. That was a good example for you. Yeah. A hundred percent. Um, so I tried to get sober a few times and it would last for like maybe three days. And then I'd be like, I'm good. Like I'm going to go out. Yeah. And then, uh, the one time I was dating a guy and he was, he was clean and he was like, you're fucking up. Like it's, I can't be a part of this. And yeah. so, you know, in my mind, I was like, oh, my God, like I'm choosing this bullshit over this person who I love so much and like one of my life. And so I cleaned my shit up and I stayed sober and clean for almost six months and then was doing really well. And then on the day that I would have had six months, I went out with a one of my good friends on the boat and it's summertime and it's warm and we're on a boat and it was like, you can have a beer. Yeah. And so <laughs> the one beer turned into me like drinking all day on the boat, going to a restaurant on the lake, drinking and then getting off the lake and going to the bar and shutting the fucking bar down, sneaking in the house. Cause him and I live together and then being like, sorry. And he's like, you'd have six months today. And I remember just like feeling like shit. But then also being like, well, I made it six months. Like, I obviously don't have a problem if I can stop for six months. Yeah. Okay. Like, you did a good job. That's six months. Like, you're good to go. So the next three months after that, um, they were terrible. (laughs) I was just like waking up, wine in a coffee cup, like trying to hide it. Like, he knew I was drinking again and just not trying to let him know it was that bad. And then it just, it just kept going. And, um, I had gone to Little Rock with friends, got shit faced, had to call him at like two o'clock in the morning, like, come get me from Little Rock, like freaking out. Um, and he did. And then I think it was like two days later I had, um, 
one of my friends who I'd cut off was hanging out with her again. And we were at my house and we were just like getting wine drunk, just like shitty for no reason. And she left. And then that night he was like, this is some bullshit. Like, yeah. Choose what you're going to do. Either you're going to clean your shit up and we can move forward or like, I'm not going to deal with your shit. And I was like, "Fuck, I can't believe I'm doing this again. Like, are you kidding me? And so from that night on, I, I quit. And uh, it was just weird because it hit differently. I like I I wanted it when I quit for six months. It was like, damn, this shit is boring, dude. Like, what am I supposed to do? Yeah. Like if I'm not partying, like you have all this time that you had given to drugs and alcohol that took up so much of your time. Time went by so fast when you're having fun. So I was so bored. But the second when I when I did it again, December 16, 2020, it was different. It felt different. My mind was different. And I I just genuinely wanted it. I was so sick of looking at myself. I was overweight, was unhealthy, just sick of looking at myself and hating everything about it. Hating everything I saw, hated everything I was doing, couldn't stop. And finally, I just got to this point where I was just like so disgusted with everything about myself. I was like, I'm doing it for real this time. And thankfully, I'm still doing it. So. Yeah. So you had to quit doing it. So what I got from that was that you were wanting to do it because you love that person so much mm-hmm. and you cared about them. Mm-hmm. And that was your motivation. And then after doing that big relapse and then hiding it and you came to a, that rock bottom understanding of the only fucking way I'm going to be able to do this is if I do it for myself. Yeah. And that's what gave you the the biggest motivation that mm-hmm. you could have. Yeah. You know, I've heard of, heard that in rehab and <clears throat> in all, all the meetings and everything. And, it, and that, that didn't make sense to me until, till here recently too, is like, like the only way you can stay clean is if you want to do it for yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And it, like, cause you can't do it for anybody else because no, it's not it's enough safe. because you know, nobody's going to love you like you can love yourself. Mm-hmm. And then once you love yourself, that just kind of offers everyone else that same love. And then they're capable of loving you the way that you, that you're capable of being loved, mm-hmm. you know? And that's really good. I'm glad you touched on that. Um, So let's talk a little bit about your, your pathway. You know, I I was in uh, this training this last week. And one of the things, one of the instructors came in and said, and and they were talking about different pathways to recovery. And they said, how many different ways can you get the number eight? And he went around the room and he asked, how do you get to eight? Well, uh, six plus two. Okay. How do you get to eight? Four times two. How do you get to eight? Eight divided by one, you know, five plus three. So there's all kinds of different ways to get to that answer. Mm -hmm. And, and I think a lot of addicts and alcoholics struggle because they see like the most popular pathway. And that would be the 12 step program. Mm And I mean, that's my pathway is the 12 step program. Yeah. But 
you went a different pathway. And I find that to be very interesting and, and very motivating to someone else that is like, fuck the NA program, fuck the AA program, fuck all that 12 step shit, because I don't want to do that. Like, that's not for me. So maybe you can share what pathway you took so that you might be able to help somebody else get a understanding that there are different options out there. There isn't just one way to do this recovery uh, path. Mm -hmm. So tell us a little bit about your pathway and, and what you do to stay clean and, and work that. So, well, first of all, I like to think that, I mean, it's solely based on stubbornness. I'm too stubborn to give up now. I started it this way and it's just the way it is. I've gone to, um, AA and NA meetings and it's, it's crazy because when I got sober, it took a while to kick in, but I noticed how my journey and how I was working on myself and all these things, how it, it aligned with the 12 steps. Like I was in therapy and I was like, you know, like my sister doesn't understand that my best friend just doesn't get it. And I'm like angry and it's it's like so frustrating and it hurts my feelings and they just don't get it because they're not addicts. And I just didn't understand why I had this like resentment over it. But then through therapy, I realized it was guilt. I was harboring guilt And that's when I realized that I had to make amends. And so things like that, where it aligns with how the 12 steps are like, it's a program for a reason. And I know a hundred percent that it works. Um, It just wasn't, I don't know how I did it because it's extremely alienating to, to change your life because you have to drop off all the things that you did before the people that you knew before, like you have to change everything up. And it's really hard to do by yourself. Um, So that's why, you know, the program is so important because you have people you can rely on, people that are doing the same thing, people that you can call. So the way that I did it, I wouldn't necessarily recommend (laughs) just because it's so hard. Um, But I could do it because I was in therapy. um, Because I'd already put in the work and the time and, and making friends and building connections with people that were on that journey that like, we're sober. They were clean. Like, you know, I, I made changed my life to form around it so that I would be like in a safe zone of staying clean, staying yeah. sober. Um, you had those people to hold you accountable. Yeah. Whether they knew they were doing so or not, but right. it gave you the step to be, hold yourself accountable mm-hmm. and be responsible for your own recovery. Mm-hmm. You know, it, <clears throat> I read uh, in some literature, it says, you know, we're not responsible for our addiction, but we are responsible for our recovery. Mm-hmm. And that kind of explains a little bit about that right there. Yeah. And my, like my mom doesn't, she doesn't get it. You know, she made, I had gone through this certification program, which is like, it's, it's called Cicerone. It's like, um, like what a sommelier is for wine. Cicerone is for beer. So like you can taste mm-hmm. beer and you can tell like what notes it has, um, what the bitterness units are and all this shit. And I had done that and I was going to keep going with it, but obviously I can't. Yeah. And she was like, well, one day you should just, you know, finish that. And I was like, well, I can't Donna. And she's like, why not? And I was like, why don't fucking drink? <laughs> she's like, but that's not going to last forever. And I was like, well, hopefully it does. Yeah. Like That's the whole point. So she just doesn't get it. So not having that support, you know, from her, 
you know, I found it in other places and, you know, a hundred percent, like go to therapy. Therapy helps so much. Find a therapist, find someone, talk it out, work through it. Yeah. Uh, Especially if you're going to not, if this is something that you want for your life, you want to be clean and sober and you don't plan on being part of the program, find a fucking therapist. Yeah. Don't make your shit everyone else's problem. Work that shit out in therapy. Go pay for it. Go heal yourself. Yeah. Take care of that. So, so surround yourself, change the people Mm -hmm. and surround yourself with people that can hold yourself accountable. Yeah. Seek out fucking therapy. Yeah. Ideally you're like, oh, I have to like move away from where I was because, you know, I know exactly where to buy drugs. Yeah. You know, exactly my favorite liquor store, my bar. Yeah. All that shit. So you're like, oh, I should just move. But like, if you want it, you're going to find it no matter where you go. Yep. So like it, it is a true test to, you know, stay where you are and figure that shit out. If you want it, you're going to do it. Yeah. You're going to find a way to make it happen. Like this shit's hard, Yeah. but it's doable. A hundred percent. Yeah. They say, you know, I've heard a lot of addicts and, and a lot of the guests on the show talk about, you know, drugs wasn't the problem. I was the fucking problem. Mm-hmm. And so if you just move to a different place, well, and if you're the fucking problem, that means that you're moving with the problem, Yeah, you know? So you have to have that desire to want something different and, and better. Yeah. And you know, growth is fucking uncomfortable as fuck. Yeah. It sucks, but it's growth great. sucks, but you grow from it. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you progress and you make changes and you do something where it hurts for a little bit and it's hard, but then, I mean, it's, it becomes easier. I think, um, it, well, it becomes easier in a sense that you're not, that I'm not obsessing over the thought of getting high mm-hmm. or getting drunk. Yeah. And the obsession starts to die. And the obsession with something else, because I'm an addict, I obsess over many different things, mm-hmm. but the obsession has changed for me now. And now I have changed traded that obsession for drugs and alcohol and hanging out and and fucking off with doing something productive and healthy yeah with my life mm-hmm. so what what kind of literature you know i've i've seen some books that you've had mm-hmm. uh and and so these this literature that you have read uh what's one what's one of the books that you've worked through well, I don't think I've ever finished one. Yeah. That's just me. Um, I have a, a super amazing aunt who is my mother figure. Um, and she has always been super supportive of me. And she sends me like it used to irritate me because it would be self-help books all the time. And I'm like, this bitch. Yeah. But now I and, I yeah. love them. So I would start one. And I don't finish them, which is a bad habit, but I do get into them. So the most recent one that I've been working on is, um, well, there's two. Um, I can't think of the name of it now, but it's like uh, essentially like, why are you the way you are? And it helps to explain in a way that people can understand why people are the way they are. So, you know, like say you have like a lot of childhood trauma with your mom and it's like, Oh, like my mom like beat the shit out of me and she was like mm-hmm. really hard and all this and it's like why is she like that and obviously it's something that happened to her and how she's mm-hmm. in her patterns and how to not let those types of things form you mm-hmm. as a person you know to stop those generational like curses and things um so you have to unlearn a lot of shit 
Is that the one that's called like Crack in the Gold or? No, Gold in the Cracks gold is the, the other crack. one. Okay. Um, and so that book is helping you. It asks you questions and prompts you to write down some of like your best and worst memories. Yeah. And like really get gritty with it and like write that shit out. But then also you have to rework those memories in like a positive way. So it's kind of like putting yourself back in time when that happened and like reworking a scenario, how you would want it to play out. So you kind of like help reform those memories so that like the trauma doesn't hold up so much space in your mind. Okay. Um, and helps you to work past, um, a lot of things that like we hold on to that you probably don't even realize that you're holding on to yeah. until you work it out and you're like, Oh my God, this makes so much sense. Um, but they're amazing and I love them and uh, they've been great so far. So you would, you would suggest people looking into self-help books or some kind of literature, some kind of reading, getting some kind of knowledge yeah, to help you discover who you are. If that's your thing. Yeah. A hundred percent. Because if you're an addict, um, there's not always like a reason why you're an addict, you know, it's, um, uh, nature versus nurture, yeah. uh, type things like, you know, a lot of people come from amazing backgrounds and are addicts. And it's just like, why is it that way? I don't know. But, you know, things have happened along the way that have helped you stay an addict. Mm -hmm. Things have happened and whatever, um, <clears throat> I lost where I was going with that. It's okay. <laughs> so when you're doing these self-help books and, and really digging into the, that deep trauma, can you remember anything? Did it bring up any triggers for you or were, was it like easy for you to accept that? Because a lot of, a lot of my recovery journey has been, Okay, I accept that. Mm -hmm. that it just is what it is. It happened. And I've mm -hmm. tried to move into it with an understanding of it had to happen. Mm -hmm. Like those things had to happen to develop the person I am today and mold me into this person. But did that did it trigger you? Did did you like recognize shit? You were like, fuck it, I'm just gonna go fucking use again. Or or was that something that you were able to work through with a therapist or just by yourself? Or? I mean, a lot of it I've worked through through the years. As I get older, I see things that happened in a different light. Um, because like, I don't know, like childhood was tumultuous, parents were always fucked up. Like, so it's from I was probably like three years old and I remember my sister and I being in the basement, like playing house and we had a cup and a, like a crayon that we had like a cigarette. So my parents always put their beer in a cup and it was just like, that's what we knew. It was like, yeah, yeah you're going to drink, you're going to smoke. And it's like, it was so normal to me. I mean, and that's why I think I, I flowed so effortlessly into it growing up yeah. was like, this is what I do. And like, I remember telling my mom about like crazy shit that I would do. Like, bar fights, getting pulled over, like, you know, being ridiculous. Um, and she would laugh about it and never got on to me for it. So it kind of like, I'm not doing anything yeah. wrong, obviously. Like, this is normal. This is yeah. fine. And it's now that I look at it through like a clear head and seeing all that shit. I'm like, right, this is disease. Yeah. It's generational disease. She's got a disease. She's also an addict. Yeah. You know, and then 
you know, it's just kind of like, I didn't know any better for a long time. Yeah. This is how people are until I got older and then it was too late because that's how I was. But now that I'm relearning it, you know, I have to stop how I think about things, how I want to do things. Cause you know, I was very quick to anger. That's how my family is. I'm going to yell first. And it's like, okay, we can't actually do that. You're, you know, you got to be a nice human being sometimes. Mm -hmm. So it's a lot of unlearning old habits and, and things and, you know, reteaching myself, but it's great because I get to learn it in a way that I understand in a way that I can accept it and a way that, you know, I can help pass knowledge on to other people. Yeah. Speaking of knowledge, you know, one thing that I really admire about you <clears throat> is that you seek out that knowledge. And I know that you go to a class mm-hmm. was like what once a month mm-hmm. and it's a manifestation class. Mm-hmm. So tell us a little bit about your manifestation class. Well, it t- it's actually, it's an intuition class. Okay. Um, so I had taken a tarot class. Okay. And this is um, an extension of that class. Um, so it, it goes into different um, facets of intuition. So it's like meditation, chakras, um, dreams, sleep, um, anything like that. Um, because, you know, you're born with intuition. Mm-hmm. But as you get older, it kind of dulls because you're so used to listening to adults. Yeah. What an adult says is what you have to do. And right. it's like, well, that's not always that's not always right. Right. It's whatever they think is best. So like what your gut might tell you to do, you would go against because you know that like your mom or dad is going to tell you that's wrong. So it's kind of like getting re in touch with that. Um, A manifestation is a big part of that too. So we've been studying manifestation for the last couple months, Um, but all those things, there's just so many facets to everything. It's, it's almost impossible to learn it all. There's always new information. Um, Yeah, no, it's been great. What are some things that you have been manifesting for your recovery and your your lifestyle? Top two, stability and happiness. I think that deduces to everything. Everyone's like, I want a big house. I want a big car. You know, I want a great job. I want a lot of money. And I want to live out of the country and whatever. And it's like, I don't give a fuck where I am as long as I'm happy and I'm stable. I don't need a lot of money. I don't need a big flashy house. Those things might be kind of nice, but <laughs> it's essentially like that, that. I don't care. I just want to be happy and I want to be stable. And, you know, I want to be doing things that I love. Yeah. Whatever it is. Everyone's like, what do you want to be when you grow up? Like, I still have no idea. I just know like certain things I do make me happy. And then I go do those things. And it's like, I can't force myself into one thing one job forever. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. But um, yeah, if I could just be happy and stable, then whatever I'm doing in that moment, as long as I'm happy and I'm healthy, then I don't really care. I'm just right. living life. Would you say you're happy right now with life? Yeah, I am happy. I, I've worked really hard to, to maintain the stability because the, like I said before, when I got sober, um, you know, not long after getting sober, the guy I was seeing that I, you know, got sober for, we broke up. And it was like in that moment, I was like, oh shit, like 
he was already clean. So like, he was kind of like my, my anchor. Yeah. And you know, what am I going to do now? Like, am I going to go out and get fucked up? What am I going to do? And I was scared. I was like, like, not only am I scared that I'm going to go out and, and, you know, get fucked up, but like, then I'm scared, like, oh shit, like I'm so codependent. This is not good. Yeah. But uh, in the end, uh, it was just, you know, just another fear that I had and I was fine. Yeah. So, so would you say that you now, uh, in your, your path of recovery, you try to face those fears head on and, and, uh, tackle, tackle them head first instead of kind of run from them. And, yeah. hundred yeah. percent. I want to get it over with. I don't yeah. want to deal with it any longer than I have to. Right. If I feel like something's awkward, I'm going to talk about it. Yeah. If I feel like there's like an air of something that needs to be talked about, I'm going to pull you aside and be like, let's get this shit over with. Like what's going on. I'm not going to sit there and let it fester. Like I've right. done that before. I'd be scared of it. It never works out. Like just get it over with. Cause otherwise you're just sitting there like worrying about it and worrying about it. And then you spend all this time stressing before it even happens. So you're like double stressing over it. Just yeah. get that shit over with. Take yeah. care of whatever you need to take care of. And just do it. Yeah. I would say that's good advice for anybody struggling with that right now too, is if you're scared of it and it's haunting you, just fucking face it. Yeah. Because the best thing that you can do is get that process going mm-hmm. so that you can get past that and move on to your happiness. Um, yeah. <clears throat> so what are some things that you do with your, um, your clean time? Like, I remember earlier you said that, fuck, how am I going to have fun without drinking and yeah. without drugging? And, and like, what am I going to do? And eventually that led back to a relapse six months later for mm-hmm. you. So what did, what did you find? What kind of hobbies do you do now to, to replace the bar and, and all that other shit? Yeah. Well, it definitely takes practice because like, on a nice sunny day like today was gorgeous outside i'd definitely be like drinking beer outside you know just like hanging out camping's hard like you have to relearn how you do all those things without doing this huge integral part that you had um but once you get past that it always it gets easier over time i remember just being like fuck if i can just make it to 30 days I'll just be so happy. And then it was 30 days and it's like, oh, if I could just make it to 60. And I was like, I just want to have a year already. And then it happened. And then like, it just gets easier to where now I don't even like, I don't even hardly think about it anymore. Like, you know, I have moments where I like think about drinking and it's just like an intrusive thought that you have, but it's fleeting and I acknowledge it and I just go on about my day. Um, But I enjoy going to the gym. Okay. Uh, you know, obviously I have a job, so that takes up a little bit of time. Uh, I go to shows, go hiking. Essentially I do whatever I want. Like I did before. Yeah. I just don't get fucked up while I do it. (laughs) So, okay. I've finally worked my way up. Like I'll go out with friends to bars, like, you know, shows and stuff. They're always at bars and venues and things. And it was a little weird at first. It's like, what do I do with my hands? Like I'm not holding a fucking beer. Like what am I supposed to do? But it gets easier and, uh, you know, it's doable. Yeah. You know, whenever, uh, uh, I had spoken to you a couple months ago, uh, I remember you telling me it was like, you're, you were going through this struggle of finding clean friends and having people that understood 
how much it meant to you to stay in recovery and stay clean and mm-hmm. sober. So how did you deal with that? Like, how did you deal with like finding these people to be around? Well, it's not like, cause there's not, it's like, you know, when you're in this path of recovery, it's like, fuck everybody, nobody's doing this shit. Well, it's kind of like drugs. <clears throat> if you want drugs, you're going to find them. Yeah. If you want clean friends. You're going to find them. You go to yeah. places where people do that shit. It's yeah. like, I want a gym friend. Where am I going to go? I'm going to go to the fucking gym. Go to fucking gym. So thankfully I had already been friends with people who were like in NA and, you know, like wanted to have the same values and lifestyle and things that, that I wanted. And so once I met those people, I was like, hell yeah. Yeah. So now I have like a bigger circle. I mean, it takes time to build it up and meet people and, you know, like obviously like I work with people and you meet people who, go out and do whatever they want to do. They're grown. They can have their fun, whatever. Um, and that's fine. You can be friends with those people, but you know, you find your tribe right. eventually. Right. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Every, every, anytime I hear the word tribe, it like, because of the esoteric meaning of it, it's like, damn, like, and when you find those people, when you find your soul group, mm-hmm. it's like, it's, you can be completely awkward because everybody else is fucking awkward too. Yeah, no one cares. And yeah, it's just, it's natural. Mm-hmm. It's a natural connection. And th- those, those types of connections are super important. Um, <clears throat> well, great. Uh, do you have any advice for any females or males out there that are just like fucking going through it right now that are struggling? Oh my God, this is going to sound hypocritical, but go to a meeting, (laughs) start it out, get your 24 hours in, stop what you're doing, seek help, call a friend, you know, do something, change it up. It's not going to happen unless you fucking do it. So get out there, do it, find a way just for today. You can make it happen. You just have to do it. Nike was on to something they when they were, said that yeah. shit, didn't they? You make it through one day, and then then work on your second day. Yeah. Just start slow. Because the first day, I was like, there ain't no way in hell I'm going to be able to do this shit. <laughs> and then here I am, like, over two years later, and it's, you know, it's almost effortless. Yeah. So, it's yeah, been great. It became a routine for you to Yeah, and strong. now, like, I I would never, I can't say, like, I can't read, I don't know the future, but, like, I never want my life to go back to the way that it was before. Like one of the things I thought was like, Oh yeah, I'm going to get, you know, sober and life is going to be great and everything's going to be fine. I'm going to have all this energy and you know, everything's great when you're clean and you know, that's not the truth. Life (laughs) still sucks sometimes. Like it's fucking hard, but it's important to know, like it's a moment yeah. You know, and in those moments when you're like, fuck, dude, like oh, fucking drink sounds great right now. Like it's a moment. Yeah. Make your way past it and move on from it. Like just keep fucking going because yeah. the reward, it's so hard to explain, but like. It's amazing. It's yeah. amazing to be able to sit here and talk to you about it. It's amazing for people to be like, I can't fucking believe you did it. It's amazing for like my friend's parents that I knew in high school that were like, I thought for sure you were like straight up fucked from the get go. And it's like, yeah, me too. I'm not gonna lie. Um, so like, and just having a healthy mindset, like just waking up from 
benders and having like suicide notes written and just like hating everything. It's just, it's, it's great. Like, you know, being able to do yard work or, you know, repot plants and just live a life and oh. uh, being able to enjoy yourself in the moment and appreciate everything. It's just, it's absolutely amazing. Cool. Thank you for sharing that. So <clears throat> this wraps up episode seven of the Dirtbag Chronicles. Um, right now at this, this moment I, of the show, I just want to, um, <clears throat> I want to talk about uh, relapse real quick. Uh, I've had several close friends uh, relapse here lately. And I just want y'all to know, like, even though, you know, us addicts that have uh, recovery time of a year, two years, three years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, like something that we will never forget. And I'm speaking for us as a group, and I can really only speak for myself, but I will never forget how strong that struggle is. And I just want you to know, like, even the addicts that don't know you, we love you. And we, we truly care about your well-being and we are here to help you. Um, we understand what you're going through because we've been through that ourselves. And the most important thing that you can do when life is chaotic and you're feeling like you're not worth anything and your value of yourself is shit, or if you're looking at prison time and you think that there's no, no way out of it, or there's always fucking hope. There's always somebody that will pick you up. And show you some love so that you can begin to love yourself. Now, nobody's going to do it for you. And you can't do it for anyone else. But if you are struggling and you relapsed, the hope's not gone. There's always hope. And I encourage you to stay strong. No matter what pathway it is that you're taking to to get to recovery or get to be clean or, or detox or whatever that is. We, we encourage you, us addicts encourage you to a better way of living. Um, but we can't do it for you, but I want to send you love today and, and let you know that there's always hope that we, we truly care for you and we truly will be there to help you no matter what. Regardless of your age, regardless of your sexual identity, regardless of your race, regardless of your religion, no matter what your views or opinions or what you look like, like we fucking love you and we're here for you. And if you are struggling, please reach out to us. If you see this podcast and and you you stayed to the end to to hear this message, like I I just want you to know that we're here for you. Um, we have resources for you 
if you want help. And we encourage you to make that decision and and reach out because I believe that your your experience, what you're going through right now, is not wasted. It's it's going to be used for someone else to understand that they can get out of it too. So just shout out to you guys. Um, I understand how fucking hard it is to get clean and stay clean and not give up. It's very fucking difficult, but this wraps up Dirtbag Chronicles episode seven. Thank you so much, Sam, for coming on and sharing your story and and telling how you've conquered this and and how you continue to conquer it. And I really like that you you mentioned that that these are just bad moments that you have clean now. They're not bad days. Is your life isn't just fucking shit anymore. Mm-hmm. Like it's just a fucking <laughs> spoiled moment and then you can move on. Yeah. Take and a deep breath. Yeah. Eat some cake. Eat some fucking cake. Drink some water. Lots of fucking water. move around. Yeah. So thank you so much for coming on. Thank and, you for and having doing me. That. Absolutely. It was a pleasure. So thank you guys very much. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And uh don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, uh, TikTok. Uh, We are trying to get this uploaded uh, to different platforms such as Spotify and any other platform that you guys want to listen to. Uh, But we need your opinion and we need your feedback. Please comment on uh, on our social media and let us know what you would like for us to change and what you would like to hear about. Uh, and what platform that you you could listen to our podcast. So we just want to make it available uh, to everybody. Uh, please share, like, su- please support me. Fuck, you know, just do it. But we love you. God bless. Thank you.